When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After working together on the first three Friday the 13th movies, Steve Miner, who directed Friday the 13th Parts 2 and 3, and producer Sean S. Cunningham reteamed for something a little more kooky. From a story by Fred Decker and a screenplay by Ethan Wiley, this forgotten 80s flick is a full-tilt comedic horror movie that throws in more demons, ghosts, and ghouls than you can handle. So take down the for sale sign, stay out of the pool, and whatever you do, don't open the closet at midnight as Laramie Wells and I discuss House from 1986 on this special forgotten 80s flick bonus episode of the 80s flick flashback podcast. He came here for peace and rest. Hi. Ready to play? But now he may rest in peace. It's been waiting for him. Don't worry, Roger. I hold on to you if it's the last thing I do. Now it wants you. House. Ready off. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. All right, well, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you on this special bonus episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Uh, We've got a good one, as I always say, but this is really good. Uh, Laramie and I have been wanting to do this one for a while. I remember probably about a year ago, maybe, I got a text. I I got a text and said, whenever you do house, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm ready. Yep. And, and so as we started doing the forgotten eighties flicks, I, of course I included that one. And so this was inevitable. It was coming. So, cause you know, solidarity is always better with someone else. 
There, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Laramie Wells from the Moving Panels podcast and frequent guest co-host. So glad to have you on the show once again, Laramie. How you doing, man? It, it, I'm great, and uh, it's great to talk about these uh, these movies I watched on television when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's hey, we're right there. So just go ahead. You saw House for the first time on TV. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. I'm sure. Part of me almost for a hot second thought was this a library rental? I don't know why that that's in my head, but uh, it, there's more than likely I watched it on television though. Yeah, I was having the same thought today as I was rewatching it because I want to say that it was one that was you know I've told the story about the library in Maryland that had the movies, and I want to say that I checked it out there. But I wonder if I had seen it on TV already. Like, I remember seeing a TV version. I just don't yeah. know which one I saw first. So I saw House 2 first. I do know that. Okay. I yeah. did see House yeah. 2 first. I did, I did Evil Dead the same way. Uh, well, <laughs> well, Evil Dead, I actually saw Army of Darkness first. So the third movie. Okay. Um, and, gotcha. and then went back and saw the other two. But mm-hmm. I do know I saw House 2 first and then saw this one, which, of course how excited I was to see the greatest American hero <laughs> in this one. Exactly. So. And so I think that's probably what was the appeal to me was to see him in a lead role. And of course we'll talk about all the other, there's plenty of TV characters yeah. that will, or, you know, TV stars that were in this movie and we'll, we'll talk about those as we get into casting. But uh, so how long has it been since you watched it before rewatching it for the podcast? Uh, actually a year <laughs> last to the day. No, well, I don't know about to the day. But last October, um, there was a a Facebook group that I am a part of that decided Mm -hmm. for the month of October, they were going to do a watch along of all four house movies. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was like each week we watched one of the house movies, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then live, you know, commented on it as we were watching it. So, yeah, it was just last year that I watched house. (laughs) Yeah, it has, it hasn't been that long because I think when you told when you mentioned to me about doing an episode on it, I remember this is one of my favorites seeing as a kid, mm. and so I think it popped up on Amazon Prime, which is where I watched it this time. Yeah. and I was like, oh, it's on. I said, let me go ahead and watch it because you know sometimes on the streaming services it'll be there, and then yeah. I'll, I'll wait, and then I go back, and then it's gone. Yeah. So I was like, I'm gonna go ahead and watch it now, especially so, when the turn of the uh, turn of a month happens. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it's probably been like six months for me before that it had been a good 20 plus years, probably since I had seen it. Wow. So it was, it, it was, a, it'd been a while. There were certain parts I definitely remembered, but yeah, it was still, still fun. I think I understood a lot of the subtext more as an adult, like as a kid, oh, yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. a fun horror movie, but to understand the Vietnam, Vietnam yeah. still backstory and, and it's, it's really a, it's like a, they say comedy th- horror movie there are some funny parts of it but i don't really think of it as much of a comedy it's more of a dark comedy really yeah yeah i could that that's that's true yeah but it's almost like a family drama vietnam war drama thriller somewhat mystery so it's got a lot of different genres kind of meshed together but i think it does well It, Um, it does this is definitely one of those movies that you like I, I was actually as I was rewatching it for this, I'm going, man, I know I'm such a big fan of this movie, but to be honest, I don't know why. 
Like, I don't know what it is <laughs> right. about this What movie. was the appeal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had the same thought. I was like, I think as a kid, it was some of the practical effects of like the monsters and stuff yeah. that I thought were cool. Um, and of course, at that, at that age, you know, there were a lot of Vietnam kind of type of movies that we watch as like were action movies. Like we didn't understand the, you know, a lot of the backstory yeah. of those kind of movies. We just, we want to see the action. So like uh, First Blood, go listen to it in the archives. Exactly. That being a part of the story was appealing. William Cat was appealing. George Went from Cheers and just different characters you know, I'd seen on TV. Bull, yeah. <laughs> it was fun. I think that I think that was probably the appeal. Not that it was really that funny no. or a story that I could really put myself into as a kid. But it kept it kept even the horror elements. It kind of kept them light. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean even the the monsters, I mean, probably the scariest monster mm-hmm. is the one that comes out of the closet. Um, yeah, the first one. All the yeah. rest of them kind of look a little goofy. and Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, they, it kind of has that, which I think helps. I also, <laughs> I was uh, noting when uh, they have the scene where George Wentz's character goes into the room and they think they're mm-hmm, going to kill mm-hmm. a raccoon. Right. And I'm going, <laughs> it's midnight. It seems like there's a lot of light coming from windows. Um, <laughs> right, so that's right. the other thing is that they none of this movie is in the dark. Um, mm-hmm. You know, well, yeah, there is well, the the blackness, the bu- yeah. right, right behind the uh, <laughs> yeah. the medicine cabinet. But they kind of yeah. keep this movie out of the. It, like you said, it's it's almost, and I do loosely say almost, it's almost like a kid-friendly horror movie yeah and i was even thinking that today like when i pulled it up i was like when i saw it was rated r i was like was this always r because in my mind i kind of thought it was like a pg-13 movie i don't remember anything being over you know overtly scary or any you know too much for me as a kid i mean shoot you know i've told the story my the first i guess quote-unquote horror movie that i watched as a kid was poltergeist and it scared you know, it scared me really bad, yeah. and it's rated PG. Go back and watch it now. Of course, it's really campy and silly. Yeah. But as a young kid watching a PG movie at age ten, it it was a it was a lot for me to take in. So, uh, so thinking about this one, I was like, yeah, this one. I, I agree. It's kind of a horror light, somewhat comedy, but it's really more of a drama. Uh, to me, you know, and as as the whole story, yeah, seems more of a drama with some horror suspense elements there as well so well let's talk about story origin and pre-production as we do so this one i was able to find a little bit about it more so than some of the last forgotten 80s flick movies we've done according to fred decker the script was originally inspired by the twilight zone the movie which came out in 83 after seeing that film decker and his friends which included ethan wiley steve minor and shane black planned to make their own independent anthology movie on video but the project was never completed. Decker used the idea for this unproduced segment for this film. The original screenplay by Decker was a traditional horror film with no humor at all. The comedy was all added by Ethan Wiley when he rewrote the script. Sean S. Cunningham, the producer, produced the Friday the 13th movies, and Harry Manfredini wrote the music for this and the Friday the 13th movies, which I, I, wanted, I as I was watching it, I was like, the music in this is really good. Like, their music really does a good job of setting the tone and the suspenseful moments, it really accents those scenes really well. So when I saw that it was the same 
you know, uh, composer for the Friday the 13th. I was like, I could see that. That's probably a good, a good fit for that. And then another Friday the 13th connection, Kane Hodder, who was the yeah. stunt coordinator for the film, is known to horror fans as the one who played icon Jason Voorhees more than anyone else, four films total. So, Was it four? I thought it was only three. Uh, the note that I have says four films. I, it doesn't it doesn't list them, so, uh, you know, I guess I should have double-checked my sources. No, <laughs> you could be right. So it began filming on April 22nd, 1985. The first two weeks of production comprised shooting exteriors at the estate known today as Mills View, a Victorian-style home first built in 1887 and located on Melrose Avenue in Monrovia, California. At the time, the building was owned by two Los Angeles firemen, brothers Brian and John Wade, which I thought was an interesting little tidbit. <laughs> so... So they filmed the exterior shots there, and then most of the interior of the house was actually shot on sound stages. Also, the Vietnam scenes were on a sound stage as well. That was obvious. Yeah. <laughs> a total of seven monsters were designed and fabricated for the production. These creatures, which included the obese witch, the zombified corpse of Big Ben, three demonic kids, the flying skull-faced monster in the void, the plaque-mounted marlin that comes to life, and the war demon from the closet— were constructed by 17 special effects artists over a period of three and a half months. The war demon in particular was an elaborately built puppet measuring 18 feet, fully mechanized, operated by 15 people, and featured a fully working lower bowel system. Why? Wow. (laughs) Yeah, no. You see it on screen for what, maybe a minute, a minute and a half? Attention to detail, I guess. Yeah. The first early screening for industry professionals was a disaster. Nothing worked. But Steve Miner knew there was something there, so he took it back into the editing room. Four weeks later, they emerged with a final cut complete with score, music cues, and smarter editing, and it was a big success. So they decided to release the movie. There you have it. So I mentioned a couple of names you may have, may sound familiar. So the story was by Fred Decker. House was actually Decker's first Hollywood writing credit. He later made his promising debut as a writer-director with the terrific Night of the Creeps which paid homage to the silly, low-budget horror flicks he grew up loving as a kid. He followed that up with the equally delightful pre-teen creature feature, The Monster Monster Squad, Squad. which we covered on the pod. Yep, already. Uh, Both movies received mixed reviews from the critics and flopped at the box office, but have fortunately gone on to acquire huge cult followings. Decker also wrote five episodes of the immensely enjoyable cable TV horror anthology series, Tales from the Crypt. Which this feels like. This, it, yeah, this feels yeah. like a Tales from the Crypt type uh, it does. story. Would, yeah, which hearing that about it, them looking at this as being part of an anthology, that makes a little yeah. bit more sense. Like they really kind of, they had to flesh out what was probably going to be like a 20, 20, maybe 30 minute long segment mm-hmm. into a full feature. So Now Decker directed Monster Squad, didn't he? He did. Yeah, okay. yeah he wrote and directed. Yeah, he wrote that one with uh, Shane Black. Yeah, and then directed. And Shane, but you want to talk about wrote most movies you're familiar with from the '80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shane Black. Yeah, he was in Predator. Did some rewrites on that. Yep. Anyway, we've talked about those episodes already. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Steve Miner. Before becoming a director, Miner worked as an editor for Wes Craven and Sean S. Cunningham on several occasions, helping bring the notorious film *The Last House on the Left* from 1972 to the screen. He worked for Cunningham again in 1980 on Friday the 13th as associate producer. The following year, he was hired to direct its sequels Friday the 13th Part 2 and Friday the 13th Part 3. 
and 82, which we have already covered previously on the podcast. So I think we're actually up to, we've done the first three, Friday the 13th so far. So we'll jump into part four here before too long. Exciting. Any thoughts on uh, Miner and Decker? Uh, no, I mean, I said what I, I, my little brain knew. Or actually, <laughs> no, I do know one other thing about Decker. Of course, Decker, okay. uh, Decker's also, uh, unfortunately, not the greatest director because uh, he also did RoboCop 3. Um, yes, there, I, yeah. I try not to mention some of his yeah. movies that were not very good. Yeah, you got to mention yeah. that, though. And then Minor had, a few, Minor had a few bad ones, too. So. Yeah, but he also, you want to talk about another uh, kind of guilty pleasure horror film. He did Warlock. Mm-hmm. Oh, did he? Okay. And now, these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers... And Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagney with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! All right, well, let's jump into casting. Of course, we already mentioned William Cat as Roger Cobb. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. <laughs> His earliest film credits include the role of Jock Tommy Ross in Brian De Palma's 1976 horror film adaptation, Carrie, which allowed Cat to make a name for himself. I vaguely remember this, that in December, not that I was alive, in December 1975, Cat auditioned for the part of Luke Skywalker in the science fiction blockbuster Star Wars and footage of his audition has been featured in many Star Wars documentaries. I think I've seen some of those on like YouTube and stuff. If I have, I have forgotten that. I didn't. Know, I don't yeah. think I knew that. He was, yeah, he was seriously considered for the role, which went to Mark Hamill. Cat instead starred that year in First Love, playing a college student who experiences his first romantic relationship. Aww. <laughs> In 1981, he won his best-remembered role as Ralph Hinckley, a mild-mannered schoolteacher given a super-powered suit by aliens on the popular TV series The Greatest American Hero, a role he played until the show was canceled in 1983, also starring veteran actor Robert Culp. The show retains a cult fan base. Yeah, we are big fans of Greatest American Hero. If you haven't listened to Laramie's episode on Greatest American Hero, go listen to that one on Moving Panels. It's one of my favorites. Uh, so after Greatest American Hero, Cat starred in Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend in 85. I forgot House. about that movie. You forgot about yes. Baby? Yeah. 
That just popped into my head when you said that. Wow, I forgot about that. There, there's you yes. a forgotten 80s flick. That is a forgotten 80s flick for sure. So he was in House. He later reprised his role for the third sequel, House 4, in 1992. Yeah. yeah. Did everybody hear what he just said? Okay, there, there are four House movies, and I know he said it was the third sequel. Technically, it's the third House movie. Okay. Because one of them doesn't fit, yeah. right? The one that was given the title of House 3 has nothing to do. Yeah, we had this discussion yeah, before. Yeah, with this story. It's kind of like the season of the witch, uh, Halloween right. Halloween 3. Yeah, it has nothing to do. It was meant to be a completely separate movie, but because of the popularity of the House, house 1 and House 2, especially overseas, mm-hmm, they gave mm-hmm. this the title House 3, to draw in an audience <laughs> but yeah but nope it's the fourth the fourth movie though was technically the american third movie okay does that makes sense it does to me yeah if you're confused it's okay yeah. <laughs> because the third movie was a was is technically had a different title in america and it was only used for the house three internationally and then gotcha. why they wouldn't just name the fourth what is now the fourth movie house three for America. I don't know, but it's just crazy. Cause you know, I know you said third sequel, but when right. you said third sequel house four, that's triggered all of that information. <laughs> you may have talked about this before, but I, I didn't remember this, but cat also wrote a greatest American hero comic book. Yep. There are uh, three, there are only three issues. Um, okay. And I unfortunately have never read them. They are extremely hard to find. Oh, okay. Um, I I still am looking. I've I've got <laughs> I've got them like in a wish list on a <laughs> on Amazon, hoping one day right. that something mm-hmm. will pop up. Uh, but yeah, yep. He he wrote uh, a comic uh, bringing the greatest American hero to modern time. Yeah, I think I remember, I, now when you said that, I think I remember we talked about that on your episode. Mm-hmm. All right, and then we got George Went as Harold Gorton, the neighbor. Yep, George Went is known for playing Norm Peterson on the TV series Cheers from 1982 to 1993, which earned him six consecutive nominations for the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. Went has also appeared in films like Fletch, Gung Ho, Dreamscape, Forever Young, and Man of the House. Of course, we've talked about Fletch already, and Gung Ho was another forgotten '80s flick. I hope to cover at some point. So, he was good in that. I don't know if I've ever. I remember that. That's Michael Keaton movie, right? It is Michael yeah. Keaton. Yep, directed by uh, Ron Howard. But I'm not sure if I've seen it. Yeah, check it out. It's of its time for sure. But it's uh, it's got some. I think Michael Keaton is great in it. I think George Went is great in it. It's not Keaton's best, but it's still really good. You know. Yeah. And then we got Richard Mole as Big Ben. Richard Mole played the role of our, <laughs> I never knew this was the full name, played the role of Aristotle Nostradamus mm-hmm. Bull Shannon, a bailiff on the NBC sitcom Night Court from 1984 to 1992. He has also done extensive work as a voice actor, typically using his deep voice yep. to portray villainous characters in animation and video games. He was the voice of Two-Face in Batman the Animated Series and Batman mm. the Brave and the Bold. Was he Was he for Batman the Animated Series? I didn't, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. You, you have. All right, I, I, taught, I taught Laramie you, something. Yeah, you have shocked me. <laughs> 
I know when I was reading, I didn't, you know, I was kind of keeping it kind of short on these. I'm trying, I'm trying to shorten some of my casting stuff, but I know he replaced on some of the voiceover stuff. He replaced he other re- people yeah. like, later on. Cause I did know he was later the voice. Cause like you mm-hmm. said, when you said Batman brave and the bold, I knew he was the voice of two face on that. And I knew he was two face in the new Batman adventures, which, which was when WB rebooted the Batman, okay. the animated series. But they called gotcha. it the new Batman Adventures. But mm-hmm. yeah, if he was the actual original voice for the '92 Fox run, that that was something I did not. I don't think I knew in my head. Yeah, I think it was a few of the Spider-Man animated either shows. I think it was yes. shows that he replaced some people on those. He was Scorpion in Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. There you go. You know, of course, he's most known as Bull on Night Court, and then to see him in this role was very different for him, for sure. Yeah, which was fun. Fun to see him play something, you know, really playing the bad guy, which is the a complete opposite of who he is on Night Court. So yeah, well, so. not his first time playing a bad guy, or no, wouldn't be his last time playing a bad guy. I guess I should say. Yeah, yeah. So moving right along, we got Kay Lentz as Sandy Sinclair, Roger's ex-wife. Lentz began working as a child actress, beginning with appearances in three episodes of This Is the Life when she was fourteen. She went on to appear in such television shows as The Andy Griffith Show in the episode Opie's Group in 1967 under the stage name K. Ann Kemper, as well as in other stage productions. She made a brief appearance billed as K. Ann Kemper in American Graffiti in 1973 as Jane, a girl at the dance. (laughs) She achieved recognition for her title role performance as the free spirit who captivates William Holden in Breezy, directed by Clint Eastwood. Uh, she made guest appearances on the streets of San Francisco, Gunsmoke, MacGyver, and played a lead role in the film White Line Fever in 1975 before being cast in 1976 in the miniseries Rich Man, Poor Man, for which she was nominated for an Emmy Award. So she was uh, decent in this. She looked familiar to me, but I couldn't yeah. place like what she had been in. Uh, but her role is like a, I look like a TV nighttime soap actress. I thought she fit that, that she had that look for sure, yeah. and and fit that role pretty well. Oh, and continuing with voice work, she was the voice of uh, American Maid on The Tick. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I love The Tick. Yeah. That was one of my favorite, favorite, favorite shows. Then we've got Mary Staven as Tanya, the the neighbor, a Swedish actress, model, and beauty queen who won Miss World 1977 in London. Among her more prominent acting roles are bit parts in two of Roger Moore's James Bond films, Octopussy mm-hmm. in 83 and A View to a Kill in 85. Mm-hmm. Uh, her other films included Alien Terminator in 1988 with Roger Moore's daughter Deborah, Strike Commando 2 in 88, and Howling 5, The Rebirth in 1989. <laughs> okay. So she, <laughs> she definitely stuck with some, uh, yeah, those are fun. Uh, she bears a resemblance to Farrah Fawcett and at one point had replaced Farrah Fawcett as the model in Fabergé advertisements. So, right. which I, once again, another one I thought she looked, you know, kind of familiar, had a familiar look to her. But um, she was kind of a weird, that's probably one part of the movie that was kind of a weird part yeah. for me. Like she, she she shows up and then the next thing you know, she's dropping off her kid to yeah. be babysat by someone she just met. It, it was, that yeah. was the one part of the movie that just felt a little shoehorn because he needed to have that moment of the little boy getting kidnapped by the monsters. Yeah. 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 No, that, that was weird. Cause they, they didn't, again, like you said earlier, you know, they're taking what was supposed to be probably 20 minutes and they're extending it to an hour and a half. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that's probably one of the things they added in because there was absolutely no reason he should be flirting with her. Um, right. Because they had right. kind of established that he still wanted to be with his wife. Right. And then to have her come over and they have a very awkward. Okay. First off, <laughs> she knows he's moved into the house. Mm-hmm. Yet she still just goes over there and jumps into his pool. Right. Right. I mean, I know she says, you know, your aunt let me do this. Okay, but mm. aunt's dead. He's <laughs> right, and you obviously yeah. would know that. Yeah. So yeah, that was it. Was weird, and then to have her not that be it. Like, you mm-hmm. babysit the kid. I pick up the kid. Everything's good, and we leave. We we never, never see, see her, her again. again. She's never brought nope. never never brought back into the plot. Doesn't show up at the end. Yep. Nothing. She's just she's there for a few few scenes, and that's it. I'm not going to cover everybody in the cast, but I do want to mention two other kind of brief cameos, but they are two people that you would recognize, uh, and they play the two police officers yeah. after he thinks he shoots his ex-wife. Bubba. Uh, so first we've got, <laughs> yes, yeah, we've got Alan Autry as, listed as police officer. Yeah. I didn't know this. Autry played sports in high school and earned a scholarship to the University of the Pacific where he played quarterback and then tight end on the football team. He attracted attention in the 1975 football draft and wound up playing for the Green Bay Packers. He started three games as quarterback, but his efforts were disappointing, and Coach Bart Starr cut him from the team in 1977. He then moved into acting and played small parts in North Dallas 40 in 79 and Popeye in 80, another forgotten 80s flick, Mm, under the name Carlos Brown. Uh, While filming Southern Comfort in 81 in Louisiana, he, began, he again made contact with his father and afterwards decided to change his name back to Autry. He also dropped the Carlos and began to use his middle name, Alan. His acting career peaked when he played a small-town Mississippi policeman in, in the Heat of the Night TV series, yep. which ran from 1988 to 1995. And that was, of course, he was, that was filmed uh, in my hometown? In, in hometown, in Covington, and, Georgia. Yep, and I was uh, in middle school, and they used my middle school as the Sparta High School in mm-hmm. that, and I actually uh, got to shake hands with Alan Autry. Oh, very nice. Yep. Uh, it, it not at not at the school. I know I'm making it sound like it, it happened at the school. <laughs> um, it was right. actually inside of Belk. <laughs> like I just passed him in a Belk, and mm-hmm. and I, I I remember just saying I don't remember what I said to him, but I remember just saying right. something, and and he he shook my hand. And, you know, I was... How old were you then? I was in middle school, uh, sixth or seventh okay. grade. It's like 12, 13, maybe. Uh, well, 11, I'm a little 12. younger, so yeah, probably 10, 11. Gotcha. Yeah. I have one of those summer birthdays, so I was always younger. The, I oh, was always I gotcha, the year gotcha, younger. Gotcha. <laughs> right. So, and then we got the other police officer, Stephen Williams. Uh, Williams is best known for his role as Captain Adam Fuller on the Fox TV series 21 Jump Street from 87 to 91. Maybe to you. He also played... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get to yours. I know already. He also played Lieutenant Burnett on the CBS drama series The Equalizer in 85. He later played Detective August Brooks on the short-lived TV TNT series LA Heat in 96. He also had a recurring recurring role as X on the Fox hit science fiction show, The X Files. Yeah, that was probably is that what you were thinking of. No, I will say that was probably my first introduction to him, but that's not okay. what comes to mind when I see his face. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll do these, and if I miss it, you can tell me what it is. Okay. He appeared in the Blues Brothers in 1980 as Trooper Mount. Other film roles include playing Nestor in the 1985 sequel film Missing in Action Two: The Beginning. 
And in the 1993 horror film, Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, as bounty hunter Creighton Duke. Yep, yep, yep. I will say it's Supernatural that pops into my head. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah they, I had that one listed, but I didn't I didn't put yeah. it down. So yeah, he was on No, I, I definitely well. remember him in Jason Goes to Hell because he's kind of the the uh, anti-hero in it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. you describe his character in that one, but... But I, I, it's it's supernatural, and it's mainly just because of how more recent that was, and yeah, um, yeah, and all. So yeah, supernatural, yeah. and him playing Rufus uh, in those. That's more what I remember him from. Gotcha. And if you don't know, he also had a very. It, it wasn't listed in any of his credits. I'm not sure why, but he has a cameo in one of our most listened to episodes, "Better Off Dead." Hmm. All right. Well, here we are. Favorite or iconic scene. So when you think of how someone says. Talk about the movie house was the first scene that pops in your the head. The kill the raccoon scene. Yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. the kill the raccoon scene. Just, just you know, George went standing there holding the spear mm-hmm. gun with the goggles on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, looking like I, I have no, like, no, like, no clue what's actually going on. Right. Yeah. Right. No, that another good place where the music really helps to set the tone for that scene. Like, that scene is really well done like the anticipation and waiting but then it becomes very that's probably a good comedy scene though too because yeah. once it comes out you know he completely freaks out and then uh you know william cat is fighting and whatever and then he get he shoots it and then he's like shoot it again he's like with yeah. what there's only one <laughs> there's only one, <laughs> there's only one, thing. one yeah. little dart arrow and, whatever you call the thing in a right and then he's harpoon. getting pulled away he's like help a harpoon that's yeah. it and then William Cat's getting pulled away, or Roger's being pulled away, and he was like, help me. He's like, what am I supposed to do? He's like, grab my hand. I'll hold on, and I'll yeah. never let you uh, uh, slips yeah. go. Yeah. So that was that was good. Good scene. Yeah. I, th- I think that's yeah, I think, the main one for me. Yeah. I think the iconic scene for me... Yeah. I, I think the scene that, that, that I think about is the is the zombified big Ben when he shows up at the end. Yeah. Like when he's when he opens the door, you think he's going to get out and then he shows up and that, that little, that battle at the yeah. end, that was something that always, I always think about that scene uh, when I think about the movie. But uh, what about favorite scenes? Um, I, I kind of like when he's uh, climbing down the vast nothingness and mm-hmm. he's getting attacked mm-hmm. by the flying monster. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's one I just I like the way it's shot. I like the mm-hmm. the I mean it's nineteen eighty eighty five, so but I like right. the effect of the especially when the flying monster gets the shotgun and then does the twirl with it <laughs> and yeah. shoots oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, shoots the, yeah. the rope. Now I will say when I cause when I was watching that scene, um I had done some of the research already. So so the screenwriter Ethan Wiley had a background in effects. Okay. So they were talking about that when he was putting the script together, a lot of things he was writing, he was able to give good details and gave notes as how some of those effects were going to be done because he had worked in that before. So it gave him a good visual of knowing what they could really do and not do and not, you know, giving them too much, you know, making it too outlandish or too outrageous. Yeah. So, uh, so that scene when I was watching, I was like, oh, I can, you know, I can, I could see him kind of forming that scene in the script. It's like, well, we could do this and we can do that. I know what, what we can use to make that look, look good for the time, yeah. as you were saying. So. And it, it's kind of creepy not knowing like, yeah, you know, it's, it's like those movies, um, 
where people are underwater and it's, you know, you don't mm-hmm. know where something's going to come from and, yeah. and stuff like that. So that was one of the, it's, again, it's not scary, scary, but it's kind of a, right. you know, uneasy feel as he's doing that. Yeah. So there's horror elements, but it's really suspense. Yeah. Thriller has a more suspenseful kind of vibe to it to me. Um, but going back to that scene about the, the, the blackness, the, the, the nothingness, the blackness behind the, the medicine cabinet, when he first knocked it out and you saw that shot like of him up, like the, the little white square yeah. and him standing there, it automatically took me to get out, you know, Jordan Peele's get out from a couple years mm-hmm. ago. And I was like, who, I wonder if Peele, you know, somewhat, you know, a little bit of inspiration or just something in the back of his mind that he had seen. It kind of made me think of that, that some similarities. There's, there. there's a lot of movies uh, that have <laughs> something to do with the medicine cabinet. Like, like, cause, cause even while watching this, even though I've seen it as many times as I have, mm-hmm. even at the beginning of the movie, I think the first time you see him in there, he's just brushing his teeth and he gets the idea, yeah, you know, what, I'm yeah. going to open that closet door. Um, mm-hmm. but just when he opens and then closes you, I, every mm-hmm. time I see that in a movie, <laughs> yeah. no matter how many times I've seen it, something, yeah. yeah. When you open a medicine cabinet and then close it, I'm expecting something to be in that mirror. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was waiting for it, like, to, it to come up and him be disformed or him yeah. be a, you look different or somebody, or somebody being behind I will him say whatever, the yeah. stuff grabbing him out of the medicine cabinet is probably one of the mm-hmm. scariest moments yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah. then he grabs the the straight razor, which, which I will say this. The continuity of that scene the fact Mm -hmm. that that he's got that arm free to reach for that straight razor and then when they cut i'm like there's no way that arm is being able to stay (laughs) in that direction as Mm -hmm. he's getting pulled but then he just starts whacking at them and i'm i'm going that better be a fake straight razor because he's gonna cut himself (laughs) doing this right right another scene similar to that will kind of go to the or towards the end when He's hanging off the cliff, and the zombified Big Ben is over yeah. him with the bones on top up. of the shoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, yeah, there's some, there's some goofs there. Like, well, I mean, look, even Ben, Big Ben. There's times where he's talking. You can, you can see the see mouth the inside the mouth, mouth behind. Yeah. yeah. So, but you know, the, but overall the effects were good. Yeah. But he's he's holding on with one hand. Mm-hmm. With his other hand, he's able to get his belt off, mm-hmm. which he then loops around. Big Ben's arm, which just five minutes previous. No, it was the other arm. It was the other arm, but at the same time, yeah, I get what you're if saying. If he pulled from one, yeah, you would think it the would other pull one the other one, but no, he he goes right yeah, over. You would think but, it could just. I will say though, I like the the detail that it was the other arm. Other arm, yeah, yeah true, true. So you, yeah. you you do have that that little bit of okay, yeah. it wasn't the arm that we had just seen him pull off. So right. maybe this one's a little bit you know more secure. Yeah. It kind of redeemed itself because I was like, I was like, oh come on! But then, you know, thirty seconds later, when he goes in the room and he finds his son, then Big Ben is back. So it's like, well, he didn't really die, yeah. so it wasn't, you know, he could have just did it to to, to fool uh, to fool Roger. But. How awesome is it though that they went to some cliff with waves crashing on rocks and they just tossed a dummy down there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, another one of my favorite kind of, I, I think all of our favorite scenes are all like the scary scenes for sure, but. Because I think as a kid, after this movie, 
every time I saw a fish over a mantle, especially yeah. like a big fish, I was waiting for it to, to turn its head, try, <laughs> try to attack you. So, uh, so yeah, that that scene got me as a kid uh, for sure. We we, uh, we all lived through the '90s and early 2000s. We all had the Billy Big Mouth. <laughs> fish yeah oh yeah fish that yeah. sang oh yeah 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 uh you know what you you talked about all of our favorite scenes being uh scary scenes i actually think i have one that's got a little bit of the comedic aspect and that's okay. when he's talking to the neighbor while the the witch's hand is coming out of oh yeah yeah and he's having to <laughs> yeah. step on the hand the and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know that's a fun scene it is a fun scene and then he He's knocking it out or trying to knock it over when she turns back around. He's like, oh, and he's kind of standing on top yeah. of it. And yeah, yeah it's, it's a good, that is a good comedic scene. Once again. And then he has to cut her, cut her all up into little pieces because mm-hmm. he realizes <laughs> it's not going to work as a big piece. So. Yeah. And then we have the scene with the dog that, that finds the hand. Yeah, where did that dog uh, come? Is that dog even? Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. like, his dog. Uh, anyway, just those, 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 once again, we talk about it. They're, they were, they were having to add parts to make it a feature length and it's still a fun watch we're nitpicking on some stuff but it's still it was still enjoyable yeah. enjoyable to watch from beginning in all right well let's cover some of the uh scenes and trivia maybe spark some other thoughts uh so aunt elizabeth played by susan french in the movie is referred to as mrs hooper yep. a possible nod to horror icon toby, toby hooper yep. And I want which I noticed that. And I want to point out. I know we didn't talk about her in the cast list, but I want to point this out. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm a big Superman fan, yes. big Christopher Reeves fan, and she plays the older version of Jane Seymour in Somewhere in Time. Yes, I did see that in her filmography. Yep. Sure did. Yep. So another homage. The for sale sign at the beginning of the movie has the name of Craven, Craven Realty, perhaps a nod to Wes Craven, a legendary horror director. So definitely some nods there to their friends, and. uh uh, horror directors. The film originally ended with an unrelated monster in the pool that needed to be defeated to rescue the boy, but Steve Miner wondered if the missing boy could be tied to the Vietnam subplot. Roger originally dropped from the rope into the water, found his boy fighting a monster underwater, and then fought to rescue him before surface resurfacing in the pool. Wiley agreed on Miner's point and wrote a new ending which works wonderfully to bring it all together. Them rising from the pool was the original ending, but they added the arrival of the Big Ben zombie to wrap it all up neatly. So I thought that was a good... Yeah, this that ending works with the Vietnam uh, sub-story mm-hmm. going on. The only thing is is the li- little, very little, I'm nitpicking here, mm. the little bit of, of editing that had to be done to achieve it because, mm-hmm. yeah, he lands in water and then... Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he's in Vietnam. Like, yes, it it was okay, and then it's just it's a little, and then of course they end up back in the water. So mm-hmm. it the editing, I just was like, okay. I mean, I get, I know, I get that you changed the ending, but just something felt a little detached about it. But it's a minor thing. Like I said, I'm I'm yeah. nitpicking. They don't give a. They don't really give any exposition or explanation. Really, you know, they make a comment early on, like you know, the aunt always thought the house was haunted. That being tied in with his Vietnam, yeah, doesn't really doesn't really it, yeah. We don't we don't see a clear connection there. Because yeah. um, it would be different if we didn't get the pretext from the aunt 
that mm-hmm. it's already haunted. I think it would have been right. And of course, we're talking about a movie with a lot more depth to it. You know <laughs> exactly where yeah. where you almost. I mean, could you imagine a movie? Well, I don't have to imagine. I actually can think of it right now. Uh, Jacob's Ladder. Um, okay. Where you're actually questioning whether or not his PTSD is just that, or if there mm-hmm. really is some supernatural thing going on. Mm-hmm. Which they mm-hmm. kind of start off with, you know, with him uh, shooting the the witch and then thinking he just shot mm-hmm. his ex-wife. Right, right. Um, which, you know, for a hot minute, you're actually thinking he did. And he's... Yeah, yeah. I know I did. Yeah. yeah. I like the the idea of the Vietnam story, but it was, a, again, it's going to that disconnect. There was just something mm-hmm. that didn't quite, if you really think about the story, it doesn't quite connect with the ghost story that goes along mm-hmm. with it. So mm-hmm. those two things didn't gel as well as they could have, but it doesn't ruin the movie for me. Either. No, you know no, it doesn't. Like it's yeah. not, it's not a gaping hole. It's just, ah, eh, you kind of, you know, suspend some disbelief. I know you're a big person. You know, we know it's fantasy, but there still has, there to, has be to be logic, logic yeah. in your, in your fantasy for it to come together. So, but yeah, so we'll talk about, you know, the kind of the, the big underlying part of the movie uh like several horror films of the 70s 80s and early 90s one of the major themes of the film is the mental trauma of the vietnam war that is relived and dreamt of by its protagonist this can largely be attributed to the recognition of post-traumatic stress disorder or ptsd in 1980 by the american psychiatric association and an increased popular understanding throughout the decades of ptsd symptoms like nightmares flashbacks etc as well as an increasing number of Vietnam veterans who committed suicide as a result of their wartime experiences. Thus, in many ways, films like House reflect a change in national consciousness as war ceased being depicted as a glorious event and began to be seen as a harrowing and traumatic experience, which that then ties in that line that Big Ben is telling you, you've got to kill yourself mm-hmm. for this to be over, you got, you know, which makes it a much deeper yeah. you know, threat than just, oh, he's just here to kind of scare me and then for him to have his turn, like, I'm not afraid of you. You can't really hurt me. You're not really real. That kind of realization, mm-hmm. which it does kind of, the ending is kind of like a nice, neat, put everything in a bow. And it does end kind of abruptly with him, you know, after the the, the boys rescued or the house blows up and Dick's wife pulls up and you just kind of freeze frame. Yeah. Perfect 80s movie. Yeah. Freeze frame ending uh, with no you know, exposition of what happens after that. And then that, a but. pop song playing for the credits. Yeah. <laughs> the Vietnam connection, definitely. And I mentioned this earlier, but I'll just throw this out. It's not an 80s movie because I think it came out in 9091. But Jacob's mm-hmm. Ladder yeah. is definitely a horror that movie. A horror movie that does really play with the Vietnam uh, mm-hmm. vet and the PTSD that they suffer. Um, it's a it's a great movie. Uh, Tim Robbins. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, came out in 1990. Yep. Like I said, I knew it was early 90s. I knew it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. It wasn't. I was 80s. trying to remember. I was like, I couldn't. I was couldn't remember if it was 80s. No, it was late 80s or early. Yeah, 90s. Yeah, I knew. I knew it was 90s because it has that 90s uh, lighting and cinematography <laughs> in it. Right. Uh, right. But I, I do recommend. You know, again, we're in the uh, we're in the spooky. Uh, month we're in mm-hmm. when people like to watch mm-hmm. horror movies so i know yep. this is 80s yep. flick flashback podcast but i'm also going to throw out uh, jacob's ladder as a recommendation yeah 
hey, it was it was released in ninety. It was probably made it was in the probably 80s, shot so in the eighties. We'll, there you go. We'll we'll let it slide. So. <laughs> and now these messages. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. Hey, everybody. Do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about the days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life For You. And here at Retro Life For You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. All right, let's talk about box office and critical reception. House was released on February 28th, 1986. Sean S. Cunningham says the film opened at number one, despite there being a dispute with a rival film claiming the same. The film was John Hughes's Pretty in Pink, and per IMDb, it actually nudged out House by $150,000 for the number one spot. But hey, it debuted at number two. Yeah, I'm still impressed that this movie debuted even, even... in a recognized spot. Those are the only two new releases that week. Oh, that helped. Pink yeah. And House. So, but yeah, but it looked, it still, it was close. It wasn't like it got blown out of the water by uh, Pretty in Pink. And it still did pretty well. I think it was just under $6 million for the weekend. And I think it did like $17 million worldwide in its run. So, but I'm, you know, VHS and cable definitely put it in more people put it before more people's eyes that, that saw it, which is why it had three sequels and a quasi-sequel. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So Rotten Tomatoes has it at 62% on the tomato meter and a 46% audience score. Mm. IMDb 6.1 with the viewers out of 10 and a 44 on Metacritic. Mm-mm. Nah. So all too low for me. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll probably put it in the 70s, but. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, so, I'm not yeah, going to. 70s. I'm not going to. It's not a failure. All right. Well, anything else we want to discuss about House or think we've covered it all? No, uh, just uh, be careful when you Google search it because you're going to just run into all of the <laughs> House MD stuff first. Right. This right, isn't the first right. thing that'll pop up. Because. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to put in House Movie or yeah, House Movie or 1985. Because yeah. Which is funny because it'll show up as 85, but it was actually released in 86. Because, uh, yeah, I even you talked about watching on Prime. I watched it on Prime mm-hmm. and it was the same thing. I typed in House and I had to scroll through all the seasons of House. <laughs> The television yep. show before I, I got to this one. Yep. House 2 definitely brings the comedy a little bit more. Yeah, I need to go back and rewatch that one because I know I've seen I know I've seen the first two. I don't think I saw three or four, but I do remember watching the second I one. I mean... Like at, and I remember seeing the second one after seeing this one because the only reason I wanted to see the second one. So three is just weird. I'm just going to put that <laughs> out there. And I saw three for the first time uh last year when last in year that, okay yeah in that um that watch along with the my little facebook mm-hmm. group that was the first because i didn't know that three and four existed and so that mm-hmm. was my first time watching both of those yeah because so. i think when we were talking about doing it for the episode you we were we were looking at it online you're like oh there's a third you didn't know there was a third or a fourth one i think we only knew about the first two yeah when we were pulling it up trying to find it a copy for you to buy so. Yep. All right, well, Laramie, tell us what's going on with moving panels. What you got going on for the month of October and November? Uh, October, we've got, you know, as always, we've got uh, scary stuff, at least to talk about superhero-wise. <laughs> um, for our big review for the month, uh, Blake Fowler and I are going to discuss 30 Days of Night. So mm-hmm. the vampire... A story with the uh, forgettable actor um, lead. Uh, yeah, you'll definitely hear us talk about Josh Hardnett in that. Um, but yeah, we got that coming up, and then we'll move into the holiday season, and we've got uh, Christmas stuff coming. I haven't really planned any of that yet, so so stay tuned. And that's that's all I got right now. It is spooky season, so I want to mention one of our uh, fellow podcasters. James Brooks, who has a great podcast called Interview with a Horror Virgin. So uh, definitely the, a great season. To, if you haven't checked out his his podcast, it's a good uh, time to go listen to some of those episodes. He's a big horror fan. As I know Laramie is, I'm <laughs> somewhat of a horror fan. So, uh, But yeah, but definitely check out his podcast. It's a good one. And check out Moving Panels as well. All right. Thanks, Laramie, for joining. Had a blast with you as always. We got more fun stuff coming up before the end of the year. And uh, next year or two. So ah, I'm not going to spoil it. And House is never a forgotten 80s flick for me. (laughs) Never. Never. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review. If you enjoyed the episode, share it with someone who loves 80s flicks like House. Uh, You follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Of course, the Forgotten 80s Flick series is still going strong on TikTok and Instagram. So definitely check those out. And look for more special Forgot 80s Flick bonus episodes coming up through the end of the year and possibly in the next year. Send us a message. Let us know which ones you want us to cover. 
that's it as far as I know. Thanks, Laramie, for joining. I appreciate it. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.